0: It says in Ephesians, You are God's handiwork, and so the Greek translation of this handiwork is poemic. You are God's poetry, you're His masterpiece, and so He's more interested in who you're becoming than who you've been. He was there in your past, He wants to heal your past, He was with you in your past, but God is future focused, He's more interested in who you're becoming, and He is creating you into this beautiful masterpiece i think we find it hard sometimes to imagine ourselves as a work of art or as you imagine something you are god's poetry
1: welcome to time to grow i'm your host Tasso haruna and this is a podcast by ucb all about what it means to be well today my conversation is with brian heasley He is a brilliant communicator and a genuine soul who just so happens to help lead an international organization called 24-7 Prayer. Here he serves as a global director and, as you'll soon hear, Brian has a remarkable way of bringing lofty ideas down to the surface level. His most recent book, Be Still, is a simple guide to quiet times, which I believe can help serve as an antidote to the hectic times in which we live today. My first question i wanted to start off big picture before we whittle our way down into some of the more nuanced topics and tools related to his work my desire was to get a sense of what mental health even is so i began by asking brian for his definition
0: of wellness fascinating question i i my personal thought around wellness is one of peace. Mm. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real believer in peace, that sense of inner peace. It's, uh, the apostle Paul talks about it, a peace that goes beyond our understanding. So a peace that goes beyond why, what, when, where, you know, this deep peace. So for me, wellness is kind of like at its core is is this peaceful, tranquil center And it's what we do to get peace that's important as well. But when I'm looking for someone who I think is living a balanced whole life, there tends to be something at the core that kind of looks like peace, that looks like tranquility. It looks like they're unshakable. I meet incredibly busy and gifted people all around the world doing lots of different things. And it's not necessarily the job or the area that that seems to bring the peace. There seems to be something else. So I'm always fascinated in how do we get to a place of peace for me that would be wellness
1: wow this is a quick follow-up is there in your mind maybe a correlation between mental wellness and spiritual wellness or maybe a better way to put it is between faith and peace
0: I think so, although I'm not a mental health professional. Yeah. So I wouldn't, you know, so I wouldn't I wouldn't want to stray into an area where my I lacked expertise. However, I, I I do think that when we see people who practice a faith and use that faith in such a way as to dig deeply into the source of that faith, they tend to find peace. I think when a for me as a Christian, when a prayer life goes beyond a shopping list and turns into a relationship i think that helps me develop peace when i learn how to process my own feelings and the feelings around about the world around me in light of god that that really helps me i think i i think as well it really grows my understanding in uh, my own self-awareness i think that most great leaders i know are self-aware So they know when they're not doing things well, they know when they're not functioning properly, they know when to say sorry, they know when to push back. But that's a a kind of self-awareness that I think comes from a, a probably a regular set aside space each day.
1: That really speaks to the heart of what I want to get at today. And we're going to get a little bit more into your book and some of the practical ins and outs of how we can pursue that piece. But... Three things that I really wanted to dive in today was the, the the concept of journaling, imagination, and wonder. One of the quotes from the book that I thought was super potent says, the key to all journaling is honesty. And I think that yeah. that really just hits the nail on the head. Really fast, pay attention to Brian's answer here. I think, and maybe you do as well, that inspiration needs to strike before we begin to write. But he believes that the secret to great journaling actually comes from just using our own lives as a sort of source material. Maybe when we lean into what's true, it can help us inform futures that are built on something solid.
0: I think the, the starting point really is that like there's the quote from William Shakespeare, which is to thine own self be true. So most leaders are looking for, and most people really are looking for authenticity. So in terms of self-awareness, the idea about honesty in a journal is I start with the basis, no one's going to read this. This is not a this is not an exercise in good grammar. This is not an exercise in sweet lyrics or, you know, flowing. It this is just an exercise in honesty. So I and I think if you've read the chapter, you'll see that I'm pretty, I'm quite raw in my honesty around when I talk to God. So I, I think for me, journaling it's almost like the last 24 hours. Like in the morning I wake up, I think, what happened yesterday? I write a few thoughts, what's getting under my skin, what was good, what was bad, what did I notice, What? What? where was I lacking grace, where was I angry? You know, and I just let that flow. Sometimes it flows easily, sometimes it doesn't, but I don't beat myself up. Sometimes I write, you know, long two-page journal entries, sometimes it's four or five sentences. Uh, it is, and then when I look back, I think, all oh, right. Brian, you know, in January, you talked about needing to be more present, Uh, how are you doing in being more present in the home with your family, you know, and I can look back and think, yeah, well, I've worked on that. Or if I haven't worked on it, I, I, it makes me, oh my goodness, it's easy enough to think this stuff, but it's the, the, the putting into practice is the, the bit that really matters. So yeah, out of the overflow of a man's heart his mouth speaks and so I allow my stuff to flow out of my heart onto the paper rather than just out of my head Mm -hmm. and I always work with the idea no one's going to read this (laughs) and then that kind of frees me up to to like spell things badly and not I my my editor will tell you I just don't punctuate so but anyway (laughs) There you
1: go. Well, there is a pressure, isn't it to, to almost perform? It's a natural thing when yeah. you have
0: something that you have to yeah. do
1: for an external audience. and so being able to just draw that all back into that real intimacy of self and and, and that space mm-hmm. with just you and God and the paper, you really begin to to learn a lot yeah. about you. and you you mentioned that you can go back and see where you were and see where you've kind of gone and part of that learning process, part of that wellness process is growing mm-hmm. in that self-awareness.
0: I mean, I'm not uh, journaling isn't just a purely Christian practice I think it's it's right. you know advocated in numerous different places and at numerous different times so but it is I think when you start to introduce the God factor into journaling, I think that really helps. a lot of my journal entries read more like prayers, you know really mm-hmm. honest prayers, you know yeah.
1: Well, that kind of takes us into the next point I wanted to talk about your book, which is this idea of imagination. You you mentioned that Jesus is the master storyteller, and you spoke a lot about image, and you spoke about other things in the the domain of imagination, visualization, all of these tools that we kind of have at our disposal. I was wondering, how do we use our imagination for good? Because oftentimes what happens is it actually turns more into worry. If we, if we're over imagining uh, situations that we can't control or things that we aren't privy to or or ways that things can go wrong, it can, it can almost have the opposite effect. So how do you redirect your thoughts into a way that is actually fruitful and something that is positive in in all these things?
0: I think in my personal thought life, I even had this today is like, what, what pushes me closer to God and what, pushes me further away from God. If what I'm thinking about draws me closer to God, that's good. If it pushes me further away, then that's not so good. I think when it comes to like imagination, my for me, the idea was, the 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 helpful ignatian practice of picturing oneself in the story of imagining you know when you come to a bible picturing yourself in that bible story so so it helps you kind of engage fully with scripture because i think sometimes we only engage with scripture at a theological level or even in in the protestant tradition of which i'm a proud member we've thrown out a lot of the artifacts and the stained glass windows and all the kind of other stuff which actually if you were to sit in a cathedral there's so much around you to spark your imagination and to get you thinking positively I I believe that God is like a he's a future focused and positive God whenever my imagination goes down a negative uh, flow it tends to be past focused and it tends to be negative I wish I'd have said this I wonder so that's for me I know other people are like what am I going to do in the future I'm 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 not incredibly well rehearsed about my future, so I'm I'm a bit more like let's see what happens, and you know, in the moment, as it were. So I live this kind of unrehearsed life. But I, if my imagination takes me down dark places, it tends to be there's a French saying for it, it's like the spirit of the stairs. You know, when you have a conversation with someone or an argument, and you come away and you think, I oh, wish I'd have said this, I wish I'd have said that, and you always kind of know the best thing to say after the conversation. The that can affect my mental health. That can affect my imagination. So I have to learn to let things go. You know, Brian, you didn't say it. You're not gonna say it. There's no point rehearsing the situation in your mind again, playing out the argument in a different way because that's that's unreal and not gonna happen. So therefore my imagination is where I start to, to look forward, to be future focused and not past.
1: I think this is a good place to pause for a moment. And just really think about that. Because for me, and maybe for you too, Fixing our gaze on the past can be a real source of unnecessary pain, hurt, and confusion. Though, likewise, as Brian said, for some of us, being too future-focused can result in a different set of ills like anxiety or unease. Perhaps the solution is to slow down, to be still, to be present.
0: She's more interested in who you're becoming than who you've been. What does it say in Ephesians? You are God's handiwork. And so the Greek translation of this handiwork is poemic. You are God's poetry. You're his masterpiece. And so he's more interested in who you're becoming than who you've been. He was there in your past. He wants to heal your past. He was with you in your past. But God is future focused. He's more interested in who you're becoming. And he is creating you into this beautiful. Masterpiece. I think we find it hard sometimes to imagine ourselves as a work of art or as you imagine something. You are God's poetry. God's primary expression towards you is a smile, you know, and, and, and so it, it, you get yourself into that. And that's going to that's going to help you in your mental health, help you in your outlook.
1: We are God's poetry. I love that especially as something of a wannabe poet myself. It's beautiful, if not a bit dangerous, to consider us human beings as God's magnum opus, his highest and most valued creation. In a sense, that makes us perfection personified. Of course, we're not there yet, but fortunately, in the Christian faith, we serve a God who fundamentally sees us as finished products. He maintains the future focus, so we don't have to. All we have to do is be ourselves, in the truest sense of the word.
0: You can't box poetry either. When right. you can cancel- say, like, like, I think we're, we're we're very big on this. Is my Enneograph type, or I'm a type one, two, or I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I've not done it, or I'm this type and that type. We've got all these social profiling things that are really good, but they don't, they don't really allow for nuance. They don't allow for complexity. They don't allow for the fact that words mean different things when they're set in different places. So poetry, for me, is a much more beautiful way of describing us. Of course, we have particular uh, psychological traits. But but 6 billion people, way more nuanced than about 15 different personality types. Yeah,
1: yeah. Another thing that you said in the book, and this was actually a quote from uh, Mary Oliver, is that attention is the beginning of devotion. Mm. Um, And this is in chapter seven called Wonder. and, And this is something that I've been struggling with a lot is you kind of maybe noticed it as I was talking about imagination with the negative thought patterns and trying to rectify those. In terms of how we wonder and and what we place our attention on. I almost feel like this is another way that we need to, as a a culture, not just as a Christian culture, but globally, we need to start thinking, where is our attention going? And how does that impact now the response that we're giving? Because in many ways, the negative responses are as a result of us looking in the wrong places. I wonder if you can maybe speak to that at all and, and what your thoughts on that might be.
0: I guess it's what's my first thought when I wake up and what's my last thought when I go to bed there was a mission guy who talked about that and I try to make my first thought God and my last thought God but it's what's clamouring for my attention I'm Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or TikTok or whatever numerous you know uh, social media stuff that's that's clamouring for our attention and the average person spends 158 minutes a day on social media and it would take you 15 minutes a day to read your Bible in one year. And I meet so many Christians that I really struggle to read my Bible. If I was, you know, 15 minutes a day and you'll do it in a year and you allow the wonder of God's word to speak into your life. But the reality is that well, I'm, I'm much happier watching reels on Instagram for 20 minutes of my day and thinking, oh my goodness, where, where did time go? Do you know what I mean? You you just sit there. I'll just check this one out. And before you know it, I'm looking at Messi's best goals, you know, and all of that. And and, and I'm in in some sort of weird loop where I'm just like, keep going with the stuff. And I I think the the world, uh, the systems of this world are geared towards demanding our attention. Yeah. And yet are and so we become devoted to them. What you give your attention to is what you give your devotion to. And I want to give my attention to the deeper things of this world. I want to give my attention to my family and to, to the world around me. I, I I've realized, you know, I don't look up enough. I don't look at the trees. I'm not I'm, I love social media, I love you know technology, I love Netflix, all of that kind of stuff. But I've realized that it, it distracts me and it draws me away from some of the, the natural creative beauty, which in and of itself manifests. the the creator i'm distracted from the people around me who i love dearly i see so many couples when i'm out and about they're on they're having a meal together and they're both on their phone and I'm kind of thinking, when did it when did that become our reality where we don't actually take the moment to put our phones to one side and 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 enjoy the wonder of each other's company and the wonder of good food without needing to take a photograph of it? It's the world that, that is in many ways saturated with stuff to constantly distract us from yeah. what is real, what means the most. At the end of the day, you know, when you die, no one's gonna be going, oh, that, was a, you, that was a great story. That was a great reel on it. <laughs> you know, and we Post get this- was this, amazing. Oh yeah, my goodness, I know. And goodness. we
1: get this image I need to interject again, because I believe that the point Brian is making here is at the very core of what fuels much of our collective mental disease, which is social media. We've effectively abdicated our right to reality by obsessing over fake online worlds made up almost entirely of appearances. He mentioned it earlier, but we spend on average over two and a half hours a day scrolling. And I'm guilty too. We all tend to get caught up in these algorithmically induced loops of lies. And from that, we become fundamentally detached from what is good and pure and true about others and about ourselves,
0: we're kind of watching other people's highlight reels, and then we're comparing our lives against their highlight reels, and it, it's just—it's just impossible to do, and it, it is laden and loaded with anxiety-inducing stress because my life isn't like someone else's life, and then we comparison is the thief of joy, you know, and we start comparing our lives to something. Sorry, I, I really. So, so, so I, this stuff really No
1: please me, continue I, I love I, I I like think this is it's, really fruitful I
0: think it's one of the biggest distractions not to a younger generation but to I've got a 75 year old father who's found Facebook and can spend hours just staring yeah. at it and he's not present in the room you know so yeah. you've, you it, it's happening all around we the world We have to
1: realize there are very very yeah. smart people who are their entire yeah. jobs is to, to steal our attention. They, they create these platforms that are engineered specifically to keep us in these loops that you speak of. And yeah. it really takes an intentional decision for us to, yeah. to turn away from that and reorient on something that is real, something yeah. that is good, something that will fuel us. And yeah, that all sounds great. But how exactly do we reorient on what is good? Practically speaking.
0: There was, there was someone, uh, it was Mark Sayers from Red Church in Melbourne, they did this thing called Reclaim the Hour. Mm-hmm. And I really like that, so I've tried to do it. Is you reclaim the first hour of your day, where you think, right, where, where do you go first? So go to the Bible, go to prayer, go to some breathing exercises, but don't go to your tablet, your laptop, your phone. The first, hour, reclaim an hour of your day. Fight back. You know, rage against this stuff, you know, use it. But I think at first the structure serves us, but then we serve the structure. And so we structure our lives and then we serve it. We have to change the structure of our lives and and get that structure to serve us so that we don't serve it.
1: Really, I think that's what they want is is as soon as you wake up. We say that our first thought should be God, but oftentimes we're rolling over and grabbing that phone. And mm-hmm. it really takes us out of that space almost immediately from yep. where we have an opportunity to just kind of bask in in the silence and the beauty of whatever the new day, the, the new mercies. And yep. instead, we decide to go into the inner world. I
0: bought myself an old school uh, alarm clock. Because oh, you know, sometimes point. I use I've got my phone sitting next yeah. to me, so you use it as a tell the time type stuff. You yeah. put your alarm on it. But I just bought an old school. You get them in charity shops for about. We well, get them in Argos for about six pounds. You know, whack mm. that next to your bed, and you yeah. you can plug your phone in a mile away. Yeah. You know, so simple little practices yeah. that can help.
1: That's really good advice, and I think that's a really good, just practical step that people can take to begin mm. to reclaim that time. Um, in terms of other practical steps that you have maybe found in your own walk or, and, and and I know for you specifically, Brian, as somebody who is in the public eye, somebody who probably has a lot of people pulling on your spiritual bandwidth, so to speak, there is an intentionality that has to go behind every single second and every single minute. And I want to know, how do you do that? Because as somebody who doesn't have a million people, you know, looking at my life every two seconds, I still find trouble sometimes being able to do these things. And so, I just wanted to know maybe some practical ways that you find to, to be still, to find that place of rest and really encounter God.
0: You're very flattering. I probably don't have that many people looking at my life, but <laughs> I, I, what I do is I, I think for me, the first thing is where's your chair? You know, where is your place of encounter? So I, I have a literal chair in my living room that I sit in every morning, but where's your chair? Where's your place where you go? So I think, I think intentional destination, you know, an intentional space that could be your car, you know, that could even be the gym, you know, you put your, you put your, your, your headphones in and you work away. But if you do the right kind of stuff, you can turn that into a prayer time. You can turn that into a devotional time. You're, there's Mm -hmm. loads of things happening in the gym. You're practicing breathing. So breathing exercises, you're lifting weights. Imagine. So I've got two sons. So I'm, I'm not like a big gym bunny or anything, but I'm in the gym. I'm lifting weights. I've got two sons, one, and I put one in each hand. And as I lift the weight, I'm lifting my sons up to God in prayer. You know, so so actually we can take mm. parts of our everyday life and turn them into prayerful, thoughtful, mindful experiences. When you boil the kettle, why don't you just stand still next to it and think about what is it that's gone cold in your life that needs to boil up again? You know, when you mm. clean your teeth in the morning, why don't you have something, a post-it note on the mirror that says, Pray for John. Or, you know, what? You know, there's 101 little things we can yeah. do each day Little help us just stop. Put a marble. I have these little, uh, let me show you. I've, and I know we're on, we're, we're, where are they? One's rolling away. Excuse the noise.
1: Again, here's some more practical advice. So tune in. One of my goals with this podcast is to offer up concrete steps that you can take now. In fact, this one in particular, I've been using quite frequently since our talks.
0: I have these little marbles that I like, I'll pop them in my pocket if I'm praying for someone. And when I sit down, I'm reminded, I've got a marble in my pocket. And I think, oh, that that reminds me to pray or that reminds me to think about someone. You know, I have uh, prayer beads, which I use and I I use in the morning. I hold so so that my mind stops my mind from wandering. Or like we used to live in Spain in Ibiza. So I have a little cross that I hold sometimes when I'm praying for Ibiza. Just I like practicing the tactile you know holding something and and there's no power in the beads or the cross or uh, sorry this carved cross there's lots of power in the real cross Uh,
1: so for one find a sense of spiritual grounding in something physical the totem has no power in itself but as a reminder and a representation it can provide you with a wealth of renewed calm here's another good thought from brian in regards to how we can begin to reclaim our minds from the madness of our days.
0: You know, find a space, you're like early doors in Genesis, it says Adam and Eve walked in the garden. So Find your garden. Yeah. Where's the place where you walk and talk You know, Where's the place where you journal? Where's that space? And then, you know, use practice the tactile, find some things to help you. And then think about your garden, not just in terms of sitting down and a cup of tea in the morning. Your garden could be walking the dog. It could be your jogging. It could be 101 things. But the idea is intentionally thinking when I go to the gym, it's going to be a prayer time. When mm-hmm. I go walking the dog, I'm going to think about this. I'm gonna... So, if you carve those moments out in your life, I really find they help your mental well-being.
1: You mentioned garden too. I I, I just wanted to turn to this space because I remember this passage. It was um about the the word garden and the Hebrew word for which literally means a covered or a hidden place. And so I I sometimes think of that now in in terms of how I relate to finding those spaces that are able to give me that sense of growth. This podcast is called Time to Grow. And so it's kind of appropriate for the garden imagery. Mm. How do you find that space in terms of, we talked about the physical representations. We talk a little bit about kind of restructuring your day before that day then becomes your structure. In terms of finding that space of rest in that garden imagery that we see all throughout scripture, how do we bring that into a space that now allows us to feel like There's something happening, even if I can't see it all right now. I don't see all of the flowers blooming, but I know that there is a seed that is starting to sprout.
0: I think you've touched on one thing. In a culture of immediacy, we need to practice the art Mm -hmm. of perseverance. So you have to keep going with these things. But for me, your diary is really important. A lack of planning will often lead to a lack of quiet time. You know, it's interesting. If you tell someone I'm praying, right? people are like oh, that's weird you can you can skip that if you tell someone I'm in a meeting people are like, oh, he's in a meeting you know so, you don't, so I'm like I'm, he's in a meeting well, in a, they don't know I'm in a meeting with God yeah. or you, you know what I mean and so, so it's almost what I call it in my diary sometimes and then yeah. I, I deliberately have to think I, I found this thing about getting up early it's more to do with going to bed early than getting up early yeah. you know so I'm one of these guys that like, like my wife will go to bed and I'll just end up sitting there and I'll be like watching Police Interceptor before you know it. and You know, I'm just getting into it and I've wasted like 40 minutes of my evening just watching nonsense. And then, and then I'm tired in the morning. I find if I go to bed early, I get up early. I, I have to make the space. I really do think you have to be intentional with your diary and your timing about making the space. Now I give an hour a day. It's not always easy, but some people, you know, you've got to find different ways of creating. When, when, where, what's the time that you're going to do this? So you're a mornings person, you're an evenings person time and space is equally important
1: as we close in on the last question i wanted to share some scripture it's a passage from a story i think most of us are familiar with and in many ways it brings the whole conversation to a head it's from mark chapter 4 where jesus had just finished teaching what was probably thousands of people for an entire day no megaphone no pulpit probably no intermission just him and frankly, I think he needed some rest. So he called his disciples to take him across the Sea of Galilee, to the other side where there was a lot less people. And there's a lesson in there too, but we'll leave that alone for now. We start in verse 37 where it says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling with water. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. So they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and then rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm on the waters. In the beginning of the conversation, we spoke about Uh, maybe the correlation between faith and peace. And um, I maybe just wanted to draw it back to that. And how do we then bolster our faith in a way that allows us to to find that peace? There's so many ways that we can look the part, but when we get into our own time and, and our own space, it sometimes can be difficult and there's those questions, there's those things that ruminate. And so it's really about finding that time to, to bolster our faith, because then from there, it almost feels like the overflow is naturally to have peace. If our orientation is correct, if we're looking, you know, towards the creator, if we're looking at our savior, I love that line where the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it's like this idea that as we pursue the right things, all the wrong things start to fall away and don't seem as important. And that's one of the things I get out of that verse. I wonder maybe if there are any pressing lessons or if there are any parting words for for a generation that has grown up in this internet induced era of anything that you could just maybe give and some some timely wisdom in terms of what we can do to continue to pursue the right things to continue to rest in him and to not allow some of the craziness of the world to get us down
0: wow it's a massive question when the disciples set out on that boat Uh, The Lake of Galilee was not a common thing. People didn't like going that far. They called it the great abyss, the great darkness. And I do wonder culturally whether we're in this time where it feels like we're all, all at sea in this great abyss. There's a lot of darkness from Ukraine to the remnants of COVID to the uncertainty in financial times. And, you know, all of that, there's this darkness all around us. And the disciples are asked by Jesus to sail into that and through that and we as christians are asked to sail through that and That's in good. that and but there are these moments i think where it feels like we're praying to a sleeping jesus mm. you know and and we're like ah where are you and yeah. i i i believe we have to call him to wake up and he often does wake up he always wakes up it says he neither slumbers nor sleeps so i don't really believe in a sleeping jesus but I do believe that it's the prayer, it's prayer that stirs his heart. It's prayer that builds faith. So it's actually saying, I need you. The disciples, they were experts that you know in sailing, they were fishermen, but they they woke him up. So sometimes I think what they had to forgo was their own self-sufficiency, their own ability to master the seas and sail in a boat. And actually you have these fishermen, these sailors, waking up a carpenter. Let's, let's work that one out. Carpenters are like a yeah, you know. So, so sometimes true. I think that what they had to do was stop relying on their own ability and call the one who can truly bring peace. And they woke the Prince of Peace. Up. So it, there was peace in him and peace came out of him. And interestingly, there were other boats there as well. And all those other boats would have just been panicking, but they would have instantly felt the peace. And there's something about us as Christians, if we can really delve in and call out to him who brings peace, that the peace in us should affect the other ships around us, the other people around us and the other boats that are trying to get through this storm with us. We have to forgo and give up on our own self ability to make it through and realize that we are totally and utterly reliant on the Prince of Peace to get us through this storm. And Mm -hmm. I think when we get to that moment of desperation, I can't do this without you. As a dear pants full of water, so my soul longs after you. I need you More than anything else to get me through this storm. When we come to Christ like that, He always wakes up and brings peace.
1: Today, I spoke with Brian Heasley. He's the author of Be Still and an international director of 24 7 Prayer. Next week, I'll be speaking with the lovely Hope Virgo. That episode will be about how we combat eating disorders in a world where looks are so often deceiving. Be on the lookout for that conversation as it was jam-packed with a ton of great advice for those who might be struggling in that area of wellness. Remember, you are God's home, his magnum opus. Rest in that truth today and be well.